0: Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. This new year finds Washington in a bind over how to effectively engage with Turkey, a trend we've documented over the last half decade. The tug-of-war over Sweden and F-16s and Ankara's stance on the Arab-Israeli conflict are the latest examples of this. Expert Sinan Chidi joins me to break down why a tough stance toward Ankara, setting clear parameters and enforcing them relentlessly, is the only way to defend U.S. regional interests and stop Erdogan's mercurial and manipulative policies. Sinan Chiri is a non-resident senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, where he contributes to FDD's Turkey program and Center on Military and Political Power. He is also an associate professor of security studies at the Command and Staff College, Marine Corps University, and Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. Sinan, great having you back on The Greek Current.
1: Hey, good afternoon,
0: Thanos. Thank you. Sinan, why, you know, despite everything we've seen over the last years, is Turkey still consistently proving to be such a challenge for Washington?
1: So indeed, I mean, we have the Sweden issue come back to the forefront again, because as you say, it remains unresolved. And there is also on the side of that a considerable amount of resentment, frustration and impatience built up with what Turkey is going to do and when Turkey is going to do it. And you would think that accepting just the last Scandinavian applicant to join NATO would not be such a big issue for the Turkish authorities or the Turkish presidency to approve. But it is. And simply because at this point, and it has been since they first requested to join back in 2022, right, just a matter of leverage for Erdogan. And we've spoken about this numerous times. And Turkey wants something out of getting essentially Sweden accepted into NATO, which is give me some fighter jets, right? And the problem that it has hit against is consistently, well, even if the Biden White House and the administration wants to approve it in return for some sort of quid pro quo from Turkey... There is an additional hurdle for the Erdogan government, which is that of the United States Congress, which is, you know even more reluctant to just give F16s up even if Turkey approves Sweden because there's a whole outstanding slew of other issues that are problematic as far as Congress is concerned, such as if Turkey gets those jets, will it use them against Greece in an antagonizing way? Or can Turkey and should Turkey do more against Vladimir Putin's Russia in its ongoing war with Ukraine, and things like illicit financing, etc., etc, etc? So the really recent round that we're looking at, which is, you know, will the Turkish parliament pass this finally? Because the issue of accepting Sweden has moved beyond the parliamentary committee and it's gotten an approval at the request of Erdogan. So all that stands now is simply a yes or no, 50% simple majority vote in parliament. Should Sweden join NATO? And in order for that to happen, Erdogan is on record for saying, let's do this simultaneously. The United States Congress removes its objections at the request of the administration to sell Turkey F-16s, whilst on the other hand, Erdogan instructs his parliamentary colleagues to essentially greenlight Swedish accession, so it happens simultaneously, and this will be over. So it's kind of like a game of chicken, who's going to blink first? But it's not as simple as that. Again, I think what we're hitting up against is people are saying, in Washington, we want Erdogan to move first, because we've been waiting for over 18 months for this to happen, and we're kind of sick and tired of it. So... It's leverage. Erdogan wants something in return, and he's not willing to just give up through accession without getting some sort of approval from the United States.
0: Sinan, about a year ago, there were many who were arguing that, you know, after the presidential election in May, that Erdogan would soften his tone, particularly vis-a-vis the West. Now, this year, Erdogan is once again embroiled in a pre-election fight in the lead-up to municipal elections. You know, should we expect more of Erdogan's, you know, mercurial policies in the build-up to those elections?
1: I mean, I'm on the record for saying yes, simply because it's very hard for Erdogan to run a positive campaign, right? I mean, if you are going to, you know, you are seeking or he is seeking to recapture, regain the mayoralties of a lot of the Turkey's largest cities, such as Istanbul, Ankara, Izmir, Eskisehir, you know, there are a whole slew of these things. And it's not the fact that they're just interested in gaining local governments for the sake of gaining them, Right. This is where a lot of the spoils and distribution and what American politics, calls pork barrel sort of distribution politics happens. So if you run a big city such as Istanbul or Ankara, what you get in return for that is the ability to grant building permits, zoning changes, you name it, right? You, you're in an advantageous position to really grant a lot of spoils to your supporters. And Erdogan really hasn't had that in several big cities, at least the ones that count since 2019 when he lost them, right? So he is really desperate to get those back. And in order to get those back, he needs to entice voters in these big cities. And if you look across sort of polling and if you look at public sentiment on things like public street interviews, people are really frustrated with the government in the sense that, you know, their economic challenges, such as daily livelihood, are challenged by things like over 100% consumer price inflation and winter heating fuel expenses and, you know, additional taxes on things like cars, electricity, and just non-ending price increases. So it's not that Erdogan can run an election on hey, look how great we're running the economy. Vote, you have every reason to vote for us. So if he can't do that, he has to turn to a negative campaign in terms of polarization, divisiveness, playing on people's fears, which he's a master at. And there are several avenues he can go down. One of them is obviously sort of demonizing the United States and its involvement in Turkey in places like you know Syria and other parts of the Middle East, especially the ongoing Israeli-Arab war against Hamas, whereby, as we've seen, a slew of sort of protest movements and pro-Hamas rallies in Istanbul, as recent as New Year's Day when, you know, Erdogan called the faithful to strategic positions in Istanbul on a public rally to condemn Israel. And you would think that that wouldn't work, but it has a sort of motivating and mobilizing sort of ability to get under the skin of voters who think that Turkey's ailments and bad economy are due to sort of nefarious external actors such as the United States and quote-unquote Zionist Israel and the Zionist lobby in Washington. So that's one aspect. I don't know if he's going to build similar antagonistic sort of rhetoric over the Mediterranean and, and countries such as Greece or the European Union simply because he spent a lot of time in the last few months trying to sort of patch over the last three years and sort of his meeting with the Greek government, Mitsotakis, as well as other meetings that we've seen with local governments between the mayor of Istanbul, Immanuel, et etc. I don't know if we're going to go down that road, but I certainly expect a negative sort of anti-Western campaign as far as it's focused on Israel and even the United States.
0: I want to stick with Turkey's stance on the Arab-Israeli conflict, Sinan, because you argued in a recent piece in Foreign Policy that this stance is, and I'm going to quote you, emblematic of its duplicitous and hypocritical foreign policy stance with its Western allies. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. I mean,
1: so on the one hand, you see these, since October 7 when the terrorist attacks occurred in Israel, what you see is widespread sort of media coverage in Turkey, which condemns Israel to the point of even defaming their cultural heritage, their religion, and just calling Israel a sort of an apartheid state and an occupier state, a genocidal state. He compared Prime Minister Netanyahu to a Nazi, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he's really amped up rhetoric on that. And, you know, from Erdogan's perspective, it's not that he's making this up. He actually deeply believes this in it down to his core, right? So that's on the one level. And he's called upon Turkish citizens to boycott Israel, Israeli goods. You know, we saw mobilizing effects to sort of get Turks to not buy things from Starbucks, McDonald's, Burger King, simply because apparently these companies, American companies, support Israel and therefore Turkish citizens have been encouraged not to do this. But on the other hand, what we're seeing is since October 7, this is being tracked very closely by independent investigative journalists following the issue. There have been over 400 container shipments, on average seven a day since October 7, that have left Turkish port, loaded with goods, and, right, all bound for the ports of Israel. And asking Turkish citizens to boycott things like, you know, Starbucks is one thing. But on the other hand, when you've got sort of shipping magnets in Turkey, but also former government officials such as former Prime Minister Bin Ali Yildirim, even one of Erdogan's own son, Barak Erdogan, who seems to be behind profiting from trade with Israel, continuing and increasing, I might add, then you have to sort of stand back and say, well, what's all this about? And simply, it's duplicitous. It's hypocritical. And that's fine. They don't really care about that. And some of the arguments they've made is kind of paltry. I mean, they've said things like, well... A lot of these agreements, shipments are based on agreements that were reached with Israel before the October 7 attacks occurred. So we have to fulfill those. On the other hand, you know, based on the sort of pseudo-Islamic sort of interpretation of jurisprudence, Erdogan will say trade is trade, business is business. We don't necessarily have to touch that. What matters is a principle stance on sort of, you know, against Israel on, on the matter of international law, which if you don't think it makes sense, you would be forgiven because it doesn't. It's hypocritical. It's just plain and simple. They want to have their cake and eat it. They want to sort of rhetorically bash Israel, but on the other hand, on the QT, those who are close to the regime, including the government, you know, members of the government, former members of the government, want to profit out of it, and they don't want anyone to sort of of call this out. As
0: 2024 unfolds, Sinan, you've argued that the United States needs to play hardball with Turkey. What does this mean in practice? And do you think this should be a cornerstone of any long-term strategy for managing Erdogan's Turkey?
1: So with titles for her arguments, you're referring to the piece that Ambassador Eric Edelman and I wrote for foreign policy last week. So I will say that the titles are chosen by foreign policy. We don't get a choice in what, you know, how foreign policy titles those. It's not that I disagree with it, but when I saw the title, I was pleasantly surprised. Turkey needs to play hardball. This is essentially what we're saying. I don't know if I would have phrased it like that. But another good descriptor to suggest how the United States should work with Turkey is consistency, right? You know, decision makers in Washington continuously throw up their arms in the air when Turkey does something unexpected, such as the Sweden deal. For example, when they said back in 2022 that they agree in principle, then Erdogan said it has to be referred to parliament. And that took over a year. Right. And they throw their arms up in the air saying, look, you know, we thought we had an agreement. And in return for that, we were going to sort of help you try to acquire F-16 fighter jets. And suddenly you're saying, you know, slow rolling this. Right. What gives? They get very annoyed. And what we mean by that is, look, if Washington wants to, say, achieve results from Turkey, it should stick to a number of objectives that it wants to realize, right? What do we want? What does good look like? What is the end state we want to achieve? Whether it be Sweden, whether it be Ukraine and the Russian war, whether it be the Arab-Israeli conflict and what they want out of Turkey. And in, in return to that, Turks are going to want something. know, if that's going to happen, then this, and that's, quote-unquote, a transactional relationship, then stick to those guns. Don't shy away. When the Turks come back, essentially, and say... Can you soften your stance on, even if we get a parliamentary or committee vote on Sweden, can you approve this F-16s ahead of us finally approving Sweden? Then the answer should be no. Let's get the Turkish parliament and and the authorities to finally once and for all ratify Swedish accession, then deliver on the F-16s if that is, and getting additional guarantees that those planes will not be used to antagonize partners and allies across the region, right? And we argue in this piece that there are two good examples when sort of hard draw or consistency sort of works against Turkey, right? One is essentially what Putin used against Turkey when the Turks shot down a Russian fighter jet in 2015. The Russians essentially laid down a very heavy set of sort of repercussions that resulted in end of trade with Turkey, you know, imposition of visa controls, end of tourism to Turkey. And in return for that, the Russians wanted a full apology. Reparations paid to the family member of the the pilot who was shot down, but a written apology by Erdogan, which actually worked. That was one clear example where consistency and sticking to your guns work. And the other one is actually the United States when it was the Pastor Brunson issue, right? You know, the Trump administration laid down the gauntlet in the sense that if you do not release him and let him out and let him be free, then here is what will happen to you. And this really worried the Turks in the sense that then they finally released him. There are other areas in which, you know, if they want a transactional relationship, let's have a transactional relationship. Deliver on what you promise and then essentially reciprocate with what you have promised them. Otherwise, we're just tiptoeing around the same issue, from one administration to the next. One set of actors at stake, one actors at, set of actors at Treasury of the United States, just throwing their arms up, not knowing how to work with a,
0: a sort of petulant sort of actor. Sinan, always great chatting with you. Thanks again for joining us. I love the opportunity. Thank you, Sanos. In other news, Iran and Russia rushed on Friday to condemn the overnight U.S. and British airstrikes on Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen as Turkish President Erdogan claimed that London and Washington were aspiring to turn the Red Sea into a bloodbath. Asked by reporters about the overnight air and sea strikes by U.S. and British forces across Yemen in retaliation against Iran-backed Houthi forces for attacks on Red Sea shipping, the Turkish President said these were not proportionate. The Houthis have been attacking shipping lanes at the mouth of the Red Sea, saying this is to support Palestinians against Israel. Finally, Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis appears to be facing one of his most daunting challenges yet after a pledge to legalize same-sex marriage ignited fierce debate as opposition mounted within his center-right New Democracy Party. What we are going to legislate is equality in marriage, Mitsotakis said. Opinion polls suggest Greeks are evenly divided on the issue of same-sex marriage. Former Premier Andoni Samaras indicated he will vote against the bill, thus appearing to reject a proposal by Misotakis that government MPs who disagree with the measure abstain in the relevant parliamentary vote. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.